Average Joe Travels the California Inscape Season 5 Children of the Pumpkins Episode 5 It's the Great Pumpkin, Average Joe Story by Penguin Pete Written by Dodge Zelko Clyde Wren is trying to get his car started and featuring the vocal stylings of This Is Signal. Infiltrate the Pumpkin Cult I still didn't know who would be signing the check for these latest escapades, but sometimes life obliges you to take a few personal days. Lucrecia led us to her apothecary. You'll need to be well equipped for every possible contingency. If these zealots have figured out how to animate pumpkins, who knows what other unlikely powers they wield. All the power I was comfortable wielding sat squarely in my hip holster under a tasteful new tailor-fitted blazer. Well, tailor-fitted for someone anyway. Someone whose arms were a little shorter than mine. Spanky and Spunker slunk along behind us, although they and Lucrecia would be staying here, holding down the fort, while Anne and I did what we did best. Or anyway, what we did often, usually for pay. I must impress upon the two of you the moral import of the right-hand path in dealing with these impressionable hooligans. Take no unnecessary casualties. Often the adherents of a cult are lost souls struggling to find meaning. Naive young men in this case, who have fallen victim to brainwashing. Do not harm them, unless in self-defense. I'm not looking to harm anybody. In fact, if I can be perfectly honest, I'm not too comfortable with the idea of quashing a slave rebellion in the first place. Are we sure we're on the right side here? An excellent point, Joseph, but one step at a time. First, we must restore peace and order in the streets of Chatterskull Falls. Then, once we have leverage, we will negotiate emancipation. Or, at the very least, collective bargaining rights. While Lucrecia rooted around in her vast collection of oddities, Anne came over and slipped a ring on my finger. A dingy gold band that looked like it would turn my skin green. It was inset with a black opal about as lustrous as a shriveled raisin. Gee, Anne, I'm touched. I hope you didn't trade your sack lunch for this. It contains a hollow capsule. Inside is a strong hallucinogenic powder, like the kind used on Agent Carter. You remember him, don't you? But of course, I remember season four like it happened just before season five. Ignoring my preternatural awareness, she went on. It will be a non-lethal way to neutralize the pumpkin cult leader, should we locate him. And there are other non-lethal alternatives. Lucrecia distributed to us her usual specialty of herbs, talismans, trinkets, etc., including a lock of the Virgin Mary's sisters-in-law's hair. That being, of course, promiscuous Patty, as all good Catholics know from the Apocrypha. 
A plastic key ring for babies to teeth on that had once belonged to Damien, son of the devil, and a Betty Boop Pez dispenser full of fast-acting, short-lasting sleeping pills that we could genially offer to anyone in our way. After all, who can turn down a Pez? Thus equipped, we were ready to start our mission. Anne and I piled into the Packard, bid our companions farewell, and drove into town. It didn't take long for the destruction Spanky had warned us about to become apparent. Any tree, car, or building that wasn't on fire was strangled by pumpkin vines. The sky itself had taken an ominous burnt orange hue, with clouds as grungy as clotted motor oil. We were stopped at a police barricade outside the city center. A junior officer we knew casually, Lieutenant Weeblehouse, addressed us through the window. He looked about as worn down as the doughboys I had seen cowering in the trenches, kept awake for days straight by German snipers and strafe. That is to say, I heard about these guys and what they looked like. Lucky me, I was hunkered in the sunny islands of the Pacific. We've heard about your little pumpkin problem, Weeblehouse. We're here to do what we can to remedy it. Weeblehouse signaled at his partner to drag the wooden barricade aside. I'll be pulling for you two. On top of all that madness, we've had three reported Bigfoot sightings in three different parts of town. I'm starting to think the end is nigh. Don't fret over Bigfoot. All he cares about is media attention. Right, Anne? And groupies. The Sasquatch is a notorious womanizer. She fixed her hair self-consciously in the wing mirror. And... Uh... Quite the charmer when he wants to be. Well, best of luck to you folks. Off the record, I hope one or both of you is packing a heater. Better yet, we're packing Pez. With an odd look, Weeblehouse waved us through, into the heart of all the chaos. Anne and I had decided we would split up and consult two of the savviest sources at our disposal. Mine was a Chatterskull Falls household name, due to his prolific billboard presence. The lawyer, Jack Hill. Anne's source worked at the Magic Eye bookshop downstairs from our agency. Starwing, I never did catch her last name, was a plucky young autodidact with a penchant for shark teeth jewelry, on account of her husband, Chucky, being a marine orthodontist. Other than the constant reminders she needed not to blast her sitar and tabla records at full volume, Starwing was a good egg. Her massive inventory of esoteric literature had provided us with many a breakthrough over the years. I dropped Anne off at the Magic Eye. We'll be back here in two hours. Does that give you enough time to swing by the morgue? I hope so. I'd rather not make an afternoon of it. Wishing Anne good luck, I continued on my own to see Jack. He and I had arranged over the telephone to meet at a cafe in one of the less terrorized neighborhoods. My drive there was unnerving, to say the least. Great smoking chasms had opened in the street, venting sulfur-scented plumes. Graffiti and banners rife with pumpkin iconography assaulted the landscape. The only pedestrians I saw looked a little offbeat, like they had sustained a prescribed course of lobotomies and shock treatment. 
I blew through most of the stop signs and reached the cafe in record time. Jack Hill was never hard to spot in a crowd, because he was normally with his associate, Barsoom, a nine-foot, four-hundred-pound beast-man controlled by a magic ring in Jack's possession. It's a whole story. You really had to be there. You're looking more average than usual, average Joe. You should really go in and see my tailor sometime. Mortimer Genevois. He'll fix you up, give you some flair, some panache. I'm sure Anne's too polite to say it, but she really does carry the team in the sartorial department. Now, there's a dame with class. How's she doing, anyway? Well, she... I mean, Jesus Christ, you got three extra wrists in that blazer. You can't go on like this. Once Jack had finished his top-down fashion appraisal, and Barsoom's rumbling gut was satiated with a K2-sized platter of cheeseburgers, we got down to business. Jack's demeanor always put me at ease. He had a sang-froid even more unshakable than my own. There could be a mushroom cloud on the horizon, and he'd treat it with all the severity of an errant pizza topping. Between you and me, I consider any mushroom on my pizza an errant topping. But that's probably because of my lack of morals. These pumpkin boys are a joke. They've been piling into my office for days now, harassing my secretary, saying they want to apply for a 501c3 church status, saying they want to register as sovereign citizens exempt from public law. I sat him down and told him, Look, don't you schmucks see the paradox of trying to certify, through legal channels, that you are absolved from legality? The looks they gave me, it was like explaining the stock market to a Guernsey cow. I picked at my food, sipped at my highball, and tried to feel heartened by Jack's cavalier humor, despite having just seen the topsy-turvy state of downtown. So, this should all blow over then, yeah? No reason to be worried? Oh, you should definitely be worried, muchacho. Are you kidding me? You should always be worried about stupid people. Stupid people are responsible for some of the worst travesties ever to befall humankind. He had a point, and I had an ugly errand to run after this. Thinking about it made it hard to enjoy my usually delectable fricassee de frango. Jack picked up the tab and seemed to feel that gave him moral license to ridicule my alleged dowdiness one last time. He also gave me the business card of Mortimer Genevois. Barsoom, per his custom, insisted on a hug. Just when you start to doubt the old adage about God having a sense of humor, he, she, it, whatever, gives you a sign that it just might be the case. En route to the county morgue with an hour to spare before I met back up with Anne, a commercial played over the airwaves. Pumpkin spice is the vice that's twice as nice. Do you suffer from too much thinking? Then you should do more drinking. Enjoy the warm, crisp autumn taste of Chatterskull Falls Pumpkin Harvest. Chatterskull Falls Pumpkin Spice will entice you in a trice with essential oils, terpenes, isomers, acetates, and botanical herbs to keep you on your twinkling toes. Join the crowds of devoted Pumpkin Spice fans in Chatterskull Falls, and if you're truly sincere, maybe you will be honored to kiss the toe of the Great Pumpkin. Term fulfillment subject to survival of initiation rituals. Roll the dice. Try Pumpkin Spice. The county morgue stood on an isolated hilltop, visible from most of Chatterskull Falls. 
It looked like someplace Mad King Ludwig would have spent his winters. A stone-walled fortress with towers and battlements, creeper ivy clung to every inch of its exterior. I half expected a drawbridge to lower as I approached. Instead, I parked in your average lot, knocked on your average door, and was admitted by a far-from-average beauty. Her name was Dr. Pataki Dalma. Her black bob cut with its lacquer-like sheen looked painted onto her head, not dissimilar from that striking Agent Cooper. She wore black rubber gloves and a white lab coat that reached to her ankles, giving her a slim, tubular appearance. Her colorless eyes were enormous, at once trenchant, incisive, and sleepy. When she spoke, she smelled a little of red onion. So, the universe has seen fit to wash a visitor upon my shores, and at the moment when I least desire one. How utterly senseless, yet how typical, wouldn't you say? Good afternoon to you, too. I'm Average Joe, and that's all you- Well, actually, there are a few more pertinent details. We stood in a lobby decked out in Soviet topes, grays, and... No Dutch. Greens. The place seemed systematically designed to be as uninviting as possible. Even the chairs were just unfinished, hard-angled frames. Black and white photographs on the wall showed knobby, deformed tubers in various states of putrefaction. I stated my purpose. I'd like to inspect the body of a young man who was killed by a poisoned dart yesterday. Certainly you can't have too many of those lying around. Certainly. A bit naive, isn't it? To ascribe certainly to any of our empirical interpretations. As a matter of fact, I've had quite an influx of dark cases over the last two days. Tell me, Mr. Shaw, you're not with the police. They like to flash the brass and take pleasantries later. So, who exactly are you? As of this moment, I mean. As of this moment? I'm a private eye trying to squash our little pumpkin problem. You may have heard about it. Squash? Was that a pun? Are you tempting to ingratiate yourself through humor to achieve your aims? Very well. Follow me. But I'll forewarn you. I keep the morgue very loud. If I don't drown out the stillness of death, I've learned I go a little mad. Though as Choran wrote, we derive our vitality from the store of madness. Wouldn't you say so, Mr. Joe? Just Joe, please. Indeed, as she led me down a series of stark, tiled passageways, I heard a droning baritone vocalist grow louder and more pronounced. We entered the cooler to a fanfare of bombastic symphonic opera. I thought my eardrums might rupture. They felt like two timpani being bashed with ball-peen hammers. The temperature dropped by about 30 degrees. She led me to an array of steel gurneys. Each had a cadaver on top, and each cadaver wore a white sheet. 
Clenching my jaw against the oral bombardment, I peeled back a corner of each shroud until I found the familiar face I was looking for. I suffered a flashback of the frightened young thief clutching his five cases of stolen nutmeg outside the food for you. Please, mister, you gotta let me go. I can't say anymore. They're watching me right now. Relax, kid. It's only a flashback. The worst is over. Inspecting his ankle, I found the small, barely perceptible wound where the fake dart had entered him. Pataki Dalma seemed to grow impatient with me lifting one tiny corner of the sheet at a time. I was simply trying to preserve the stiff's modesty. She strode over and snatched the whole thing off in one swift motion, like she was doing the tablecloth trick. The poor kid lay there in all his naked glory. My eyes zoomed in on a peculiar tattoo. It was directly above the sternum, in the center of his chest. I leaned in for a closer look. Some superstitious part of me braced for the kid to suddenly sit up, and I got chills that had little to do with the refrigeration unit. The tattooed image was triangle-shaped. A pyramid? A paper airplane? Something more esoteric? I took a mental snapshot so that I could pour through an index of logograms and hieroglyphs at the magic eye later, hopefully finding a match. I nodded at Dr. Dalma that I was finished, but she was staring dead-eyed off into space, lost in the frenetic opera. I had to wave to get her attention. She threw the sheet back over the deceased and returned me to the quiet lobby. My ears rang as the music faded behind us. Satisfied, Mr. Joe? That tattoo, what do you make of it? Strange as she seemed, there was a certain morbid allure to the doctor's mysterious, anemic beauty. I tried to impress her with a few technical terms I'd picked up from Anne. It reminded me of certain Bronze Age cuneiforms, perhaps Acadian morpheme, if I was forced to make an educated guess. It was a slice of pie. Pumpkin pie, if I was forced to make an educated guess. I hope I have been of service to you, Mr. Joe. Now I fear you had better leave before the unmentionable dynamics at play between us escalate into something regrettable. Unmentionable dynamics? Pataki opened the door and waved me outside with a robotic gesture. Yes, our physical attraction to one another. Good day, Mr. Joe, and good luck with the squashing. To coin your own whimsical phrase, I do hope none of the cultists catch you out after a so-called curfew. One of them, in rather clansman-like robes, approached me on horseback last night and tried to place me under arrest. If you can believe it. I believe it. What did you do? I did what I had to. Good evening, Mr. Joe. Um, good evening. On my way back to the bookstore, I had a lot to think about. None of it was what I ought to have been thinking about. I rebuked myself for hoping another body might turn up soon so I could return to that strange castle on the hill.
Upon arriving at the Magic Eye, I discovered Anne and Starwing standing on the sidewalk. They were flagging me down and looking distressed. I pulled over and rolled down the window. What's the dealio, gals? Anne composed herself and took a deep breath. The cult is after us. I snuck up to her office to feed Samantha, but one of their spies spotted me. They've been peeping through the windows ever since. I think reinforcements are on the way. I think so too. In fact, I think that might be them. I pointed through the windshield at a posse of orange-robed cavalrymen, exactly the sort Pataki Dalma had just described. They descended on us at a gallop, surrounding the packer. Anne was now entirely composed. She would show no fear before these screwballs. The lead cavalryman steadied his horse and declared, By decree of our sacred order, with the power invested in me, first lieutenant, in this holiest crusade, you women are hereby placed under arrest. On what charges? Anne bristled, while Starwing cowered behind her. On the charges of being infidels and heathen witches. Witches. On the charges of being infidels and heathen witches. What else? For this you shall be burned at the stake. Come sunrise, your sentence will be carried out in the town square for all to behold. You're a bunch of ninny schoolboys playing dress-up. I couldn't be less scared of you if you rode in on a pack of shih tzus. Now it was the lieutenant's turn to bristle. Seize her! And so they were seized. I was left alone on account of the sexist loophole hardwired in the pumpkin cult credo. With friends as wily as Lucrecia and Jack Hill, I expected that decarcerating Anne and Starwing... Decarcerating... Hang on. <clears throat> I expected that busting Anne and Starwing out of jail should be a cinch. At least, I hoped so. No one wants to see their business partner burned at the stake.